Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Do not worry. This is only going to last for about three to four days, maybe five days. It'll go away. I know that I have some friends that are sitting on the beach in the Caribbean, and they sent me pictures, but it will go away. We don't have to shovel anything. We don't have to wait for it to melt. I remember when I was in high school up in Boston, it was April before the snow went away my senior year. Okay, April. So we'll get through this together. It's just going to be one bad week, and then we'll be back into the 80s and catching fish and driving our boats and having a great time right here in Charleston. Well, I want to welcome you here today. Um, we got Ash Wednesday coming up, this coming Wednesday. Now, if you weren't raised Catholic, Lutheran, or anything else that wears a collar, um, you may not know what Ash Wednesday is. It marks the beginning of Lent. And why we do Ash Wednesday is just a time for us to stop in the middle of this year because we're plowing. I mean, it's February. Are we at the end of February? I mean, it's coming close. I mean, it just feels like we're plowing through life. And so it's an opportunity on Ash Wednesday where we just kind of stop and remember, okay, Jesus died for us. Let's kind of incorporate that knowledge, his resurrection into our life. So it's an opportunity to kind of just slow our brains down, our tempo down a little bit. So let me just encourage you to be there. All we do is we put a little bit of ashes on your forehead. It's really cool. Some of us, if you want to go have like a Lord of the Rings Christian experience, it's Ash Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool. It's really symbolic. It has some really cool uh, elements to it. We invite you to come and be a part. Also, and also, kids are very much welcomed. So let's just jump into it. The middle of all this adversity, there's this promise of the stimulus. I, I, I don't know. Anybody else on Amazon looking for what they're going to spend their fourteen to possibly $24,000 stimulus check on? Not sure. I want to have more children. That's all I'm saying. If somebody's getting 3000 per child, I mean, I, you know, cheaper by the dozen. I need more kids in my life. Because there's a drone I want really bad, the Mavic 2 Pro. Some of you are in the drone. So, I mean, it's, it's really nice. Maybe a new lens for the camera. But the whole idea behind the stimulus is that you'll spend that stimulus check and that it will kind of create an economy that will get ungunked and, you know, uh, retailers will get stuff from sh people shipping stuff and, and the shippers will get stuff from manufacturers and, and then the manufacturers will get stuff from China. And, and so it, it just kind of all, it kind of all just works that way. Uh, uh, so I, I'm not an economist. I don't know if it works, but it, it just is a really cool idea if you're getting the check, um, I do see a little bit of a, of a metaphor in it, if I can say the imagery that may be biblical. See, I believe God gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us forgiveness and mercy and forgiveness, not just for us to have it and for us to hoard it for ourselves, but rather for us to kind of let it flow into the economy of our lives to begin to spend it on our children, to spend that forgiveness on our ex-spouses or to spend that hope into the lives of people that don't have hope, that we can begin to stimulate life around us. It's what God said to Abraham when he laid out this whole plan of blessing Abraham, because sometimes we think, well, Abraham was just, you know, that 1% that was going to just get, get blessed. And that's not what God was doing. God was saying, hey, listen, there are some people I can bless that will allow that blessing to begin to 
flow into the lives of other people. And that's what God's called us to be. God's not, God doesn't hate the one percenters. God doesn't villainize the one percenters. But rather he empowers all of us, whether we're at 1%, 2%, or wherever we are on the social ladder, he empowers us to begin to stimulate life around us with grace and with truth and with mercy and with kindness. And he says to him, I will bless you, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. Now, I wonder how much of that promise was based upon the character of Abraham, that God knew that Abraham would do it, you know? Um, Yes, it's all based upon the promise of God, and Abraham has nothing to work with, but there must have been something in Abraham that God saw, something responsive to the Spirit of God, the will of God, that, Abraham, that God looked out, and he calls Abraham his friend, and he's, he's like, you're my friend. Why? It's because you can partner with me in stimulating a new spiritual economy in the lives of other people. I can trust you with blessing, because I know you're going to bless other people with it. That was the plan of God. So there is a problem with the government stimulus theory. Again, I'm not an economist, I'm not getting it, this is not a political thing or anything. I'm just talking about some numbers here I'll throw at you. Um, It is all dependent on how we use the money if it's really gonna crank up the economy. So I was looking at some data this week um, and it comes to us from the New York Federal Reserve, so it doesn't come from CNN or Fox. It's coming from the, uh, I'm hoping, is some uh, you know, unbiased place. It said that only 29% of Americans spend their stimulus check on consumption. Here's the breakdown. 29% of the money that, uh, of individuals use that money to actually buy stuff in retail or in the world around them to, to get everything going. of Americans saved the money. And then 35% of Americans did debt repayment with the money. Now, that's no judgment about this. I mean, again, I'm just using this as a metaphor. But the idea was that that like 100% of us would take the money and go out and go to Target or, you know, uh, Jiffy Lube or wherever we were going to go to spend the money to get it going. But that's not what's happened. The second stimulus check usage changes just a little bit. Less of it was used on on spending to stimulate the economy. More of it went to savings, and then 31% went to debt repayment. See, the stimulus was used in a way that will not stimulate the economy of the United States. Now, again, just a metaphor here. I'm not saying somebody failed. I'm not, I'm not you know, blaming a political party, so just take that out of it. Let me, let me be an artist a little bit and not a politician. Okay, so I'm just using this as a metaphor. Um, it was not used the right way. And, um, but it does reveal that in real time that the habits of people, when given resource, we tend to use them these, this way. See, everybody, all the economists do agree that the way that the American people are responding with the stimulus check is really not going to work for us. But it does reveal that, that some of us will get an advantage and spend it and, and work it into the Some of us will save the advantage, no, no fault there. If you need to save money, that's cool. And then some of us will actually use it as a way to pay back some debt. 
So we kind of know like how we respond when we get a, a, a check in our hand. So this is where it overlays the sermon series. The grace, forgiveness, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit only works in the world around us when we spend it on the world around us. That's the only way it works, is that all that mercy and forgiveness of God is not supposed to be stored in a bank someplace. It's not supposed to be something to pay back some debt before God, but rather God gave us forgiveness, mercy, hope, purpose, all the best virtues of the Christian faith, not for us to just keep it and hoard it or to pay back God in some kind of way, but rather for us to spend it in the world around us. So the day of Pentecost happens 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. The day of Pentecost is stimulus day in the Bible. That's the day, the stimulus, the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church to try to get something to happen in the world. God's not given this Holy Spirit so that some people can have a Holy Ghost moment, but rather he's pouring out the Holy Spirit so that something could be stimulated in the world around them. So just prior to that day, Jesus tells the disciples, which is about 200 of them, to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the divine stimulus, the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them to go nowhere until they get it. Acts 1, 4 says, and while, they, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, I thought that was absolutely beautiful. It's because it tells us the principle that you cannot spend what you don't have, and you cannot stimulate without stimulus. How many of us are trying to bring about world change, cultural change, but yet we don't have divine stimulus? What does it turn into? turns into something ugly, doesn't it? It festers, it gets ugly. Because we don't have the power of stimulus apart from the spirit and the empowerment of God. All we have is rhetoric. That's all we have is rhetoric, or opinions, or biases, or whatever they may be. That's all we have. And Jesus says, I don't want you going anywhere because you're Jewish. I don't want you going anyplace because you're disciples and you've been following me for three years. I don't want you going anywhere just because you got morals and ethics. He said, I want you to don't go anywhere because you don't have stimulus. The kind of stimulus I want to pour out into the world around me. The power of my Holy Spirit. So he tells them, don't go anywhere until you have your stimulus given to you. But then he tells them to go everywhere as soon as they get it. It's really crazy. I mean, it's, it really is just amazing, the switch here. No stimulus check. From, from heaven, don't go anywhere. Stimulus check from heaven, go everywhere with this check. Don't just stay where you are, go everywhere. Spend this thing. And he said to them in Acts chapter one, verse seven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the Father pours out the Holy Spirit on that day and the church was divinely stimulated and empowered to bring the, the, the kingdom of God with all of its love and truth to earth. See, that's what God wanted them to do. God wanted to give them this stimulus so that they could bring the kingdom of God to earth, not just so that a bunch of people could go to heaven or a, or a group of people could just say, we've got God and you don't have God or we're doing it right and you're doing it wrong. 
Stimulus first started in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Geometrically, representing it this way, it moved like this. This is what, this is what uh, economists thought would work for stimulating the economy of the United States. Is if we give them some money, if they spend that money and use that money, then all of a sudden that resource will begin to work and there will be an epic center of stimulus that moves out and it will stimulate the economy of the United States. Again, I'm not sure, good idea or bad idea, but I do see that in scripture there is an idea that's like this and it works because God's behind it. Divine stimulus is to flow around us. It's to flow outwardly, beyond us. See, Jesus empowers the disciples to stimulate life where they are and then to continually move that stimulus towards others. That's the way the kingdom of God is supposed to work. We get stimulated by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the truth of God and the love of God, we get forgiven. Why? So that we can get jacked up and we can begin to spread that stimulus out further in the world around us. So you could easily overlay these circles onto your own life. Put you in the middle. Just put you right in the middle of that first little circle. And then your marriage, the next circle, then your family, then your church, your workplace, then your community, and so on. See, Jesus doesn't tell them to save it and put it in a bank, but rather he says, I'm giving you the power of stimulus so that you could change, so that you can be changed. But not just you. Get, look around and see who's in your circle. Oh, there's my wife of 35 years. Well, you know, my wife, you know, I don't want to, you know, she's going to do her own thing. And I'm all, this is a hypothetical. This is not how it goes on at the Rianzo Ranch. But, but it's like, you know, I don't have to mess with it. She's got her own thing. It's like, no. No, my job is to, is the stimulus of divine power into her life. I can't just blow off my wife. He says, start in Jerusalem. And he says, okay, I, me and my wife are good, but you know, I got some kids I don't like. You know, and again, hypothetical, it's not true. I love all my kids and, you know, uh, it's like, oh, I got a lot of nasty little, uh, you know, uh, grandkids. And hypothetical, not true. I love my grandkids, I love everybody. But the thing is, is that he says, but take that power and now bring it to your grandkids. Bring it to your children. It's like, okay, I've done that. Wow, that's all. We're done. We're good. It's like, okay, good. You're done with that? Next circle. Let's move this stimulus out a little bit more. And we're going to, where are you going to take it? To work? Oh, not work. You know, that's not, I don't want, or school? Not school. It's like, no. Jesus says, I want you to take this stimulus and allow it to continue to move forward and, and onward in the world around you. It doesn't tell us to pay debt off of it, to walk around forgiven and proud, you know? I don't know what I'm doing there, but uh, I just felt like I had suspenders on for a second, just a second. In the 80s, suspenders were really cool, okay? I mean, they really were cool. But, you know, just walk around, well, I'm forgiven, you know? It's like, well, that's good. I'm glad you are. I'm glad you and your little circle have got forgiveness in it because it needs to start there. It needed to start in Jerusalem. But then it needed to move to Judea, okay? It, it needed to go further. And see, and that's what America needs right now. It needs a divine stimulus from the people of God who have gotten the Holy Spirit to begin to allow that stimulus to go further than just their own little circle, and even if that little circle is just a church. He tells them to spend it on others. 
I got saved, if you can kind of like put it down to a date, I don't know, it's an evangelical thing, but you know, I, I remember making a personal decision for Christ back in like 1981. That was kind of like my, my, my time when I surrendered my life to Christ. Um, but back then, in, and then into the 90s, a lot of Christians were focused on receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. We called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or being filled with the Holy Spirit, or the fire of the Holy Spirit, or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and we got all those words from the Bible, but those were the kind of things that we did. And, and, but too many of us used it on our own lives. It was all about, have, have you spoken in tongues since you got the Holy Spirit? Do you have the gift of prophecy since you speak in it, uh, since you received the Holy Spirit? Do you have visions and dreams and, 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 and all this? And, and it was like we were discovering the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, and it was like a really cool experience, and it was like God really wanted to do something, but it was kind of like come to our church and have a Holy Ghost moment or a charismatic moment. And, and so we, we all were, we'd get on Sundays and we'd all gather and we'd all speak in tongues. And, and I'm not saying this was all wrong, but, but we really did consume the spirit for ourselves. It was all about distinguishing ourselves as being spirit-filled Christians, but most of us didn't take it into our marriages. You know, so therefore, spirit-filled people were still divorcing at the same rate that unspirit-filled people were. Spirit-filled people were still dealing with pornography, the same level that other people were. There really didn't seem to be a stimulus that affected the culture around them. It's because we just used it on ourselves. It was more of an experience than it was a, something that was supposed to be spent on the world around, on my wife, on my children, on my workplace. I really believe, as a result of that, sovereign act of God in the 1980s and 1990s when God poured out his spirit in a special way in church that uh, I really believe we see less miracles in the United States church today because we did not use it on others. So God is now stimulating other countries with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm always hearing stories of these mission things happening in other places and it's like, uh, why? Because they leave their villages and they go to another village and they pray for the Holy Spirit. Then they leave that village and they go to another village and they, 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 they give out the Holy Spirit. And, they, and it just keeps moving. And, and you say, well, you know, well, that stinks. Well, here's some biblical support for my idea of how what may have happened to us. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. So getting more is all predicated on giving more. Something about the relationship on how we use the last stimulus in our life from God on other people begins to affect how much more stimulus we get moving forward. And I don't know about you, I would like more stimulus from God. I would like more miracles from God. I would like more wisdom from God. I would like more peace from God, more love. All the, all the accoutrements of the kingdom of heaven to come to earth in my life. And God says, man, I want to do it. I want to press it down into you. I want to shake it into your life. I want to just make it run over in your life. But here's the prerequisite. I need you to spend the stimulus. I, I need you to get outside your, your own little circle and move into a new circle. I need you to expand uh, the influence that you're having in life. Another verse to support this concept would come out of Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, 
Of him much will be required. And from him to whom was entrusted much, more is demanded. See, God's not just giving a stimulus for us to have a, a wonderful Sunday morning church experience today. And I will say, I've watched church online uh, a couple times over the last year and a half, and, and it's pretty good. I, I, I shout out to our camera guys, our sound guys, our lighting people, our, our computer people, and our worship leader, who's absolutely amazing. But yeah, I, and, uh, but you know what? There's something about being here that really does just like kind of, it's a little bit different. There's, there's stimulus here. There's the presence of, the God, of God is here. But why is, why is that? It's because God stimulates us with his spirit so that we can divinely bring the stimulus to other people and bring them hope. So start in your circle. Give forgiveness in your circle. Infuse hope into your circle. Speak purpose into your circle. And if you're stirring up or stimulating any other thing, don't do it. We learned about that last week. We can all stir up stuff. I mean, we all can. We have the power of stir up. We are. We all have the power to stir up something. But the question is, is what are we stirring up? The Spirit of God will empower you. Ask him for your power of stimulus. I had it happen this week. Um, you know, you don't always, always get to see an opportunity. One, there was a, we had a, a, a beautiful memorial service for uh, my beautiful friend, uh, Tim Singleton, and seeing how the church responded to, to that moment for him and his family was absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, people were overwhelmed because it was just stimulating life in other people in the midst of a time of sorrow. But, but then the following day, I had to go back to my doctor to get another injection in, my, my, in the middle of my back. Um, so when I, that's always a very nerve-wracking thing because of where they do the injection, it's right behind my heart, and I don't want to shut that thing down. It's not like just my leg will shake, you know, if they stick me in the wrong place in like L4, L5, but it's like, you know, you stick me in the wrong place at, at T6 or T10, you're shutting down my lungs. And so I get a little nervous about it, you know, and, and so I go in to get my injection, and so I'm laying there, um, and bent over and on the machine and, you know, my shirt off and they're about to stick this uh, 27 gauge needle into my back. And, oh, it's, 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 it's a heck of a good time. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's good all the way around. And then she says something that grabbed my heart, but she didn't say it to me. She said it to all the people that were in the room. And it's a MUSC environment, so there's students and, and you know, uh, interns and all that in there, as well as the people actually performing this. It's not a normal injection. It's, it's got a couple more x-rays involved and usually lower back stuff. While I'm laying there, she says to her staff, Mr. Rienzo lives a charmed life. And here I am, scared to death, Bent over, naked to the world. There's a song. There's a song that that goes with. In front of. And so, so there I was, just bent over. And she tells her staff that Mr. Rienzo lives a charmed life. Now, let me give you just a short recap. 
divorced, dropped out of college three times, struggled with substance abuse. In the last 10 years, pastoring a church that floods, three ruptured discs, a giant tumor removed, surgery on a growth in my throat, had my gallbladder removed, had half my colon removed, and I now have a growth on my thyroid. So, a charmed life. How did she get all that from that? How does she say that even though she has firsthand knowledge that I am struggling with an injury that nobody can fix and that I come to her every six months to get an injection? How can somebody say that about me? And then add this, even though she only sees me six months in her office, even though she has only known me for just a year, how does she know? What did she sense about my life? What did she hear? What did she see with me and my wife that when she walks in and she knows all that stuff and that she says, you know, this man lives a charmed life. I believe it's the stimulus of the Holy Spirit that she knew there was something different going on in my life. You see, God gives, and I'll tell you what I do. I don't do everything well, I sin, I sin well, but I do a couple things good with God. God gives it, I speak it, and I'll bring it wherever he wants me to bring it. You see, pain and adversity are not your only story, but that's the only one most of us are telling. How about America sucks? How bad our backs hurt? How bad injustice is? How bad all this stuff? Yes, it's part of our story, but that's not our stimulus story. That's not gonna stimulate anything. I mean, that just creates those little magazines they put it at the checkout lane, you know? It just creates jealousy. It does all that, and for some of us, we have forgotten there is another story going on right now in our lives if we're willing to receive it from God. And I was just, I walked out of there so, so happy as a Christian that in the middle of a fearful moment, in the middle of a painful moment, uh, uh, that all this woman could see on me was this guy lives an amazing life. She asked me to tell, share it with, the, with her staff while I'm laying there. Your story is not just pain and adversity. God wants to stimulate it to be something else so that you can say something else to the world other than just to echo what we already know about what's going on in America or in your marriage or in your kids or in your finances. We all know that story, okay? I don't need to see more videos. We all know the story. What do we need? We need the stimulus of God. We need the Holy Spirit right here in Jerusalem and then to move out into Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Let me use a boat example in case I lost you. You know, kind of, I love boats. I mean, we're coming up on boat season. We got boat dealers here in the church and if you need a boat, let me just, I'll point them out and you can get yourself a great deal on a boat. Um, so you're out there tooling around the Charleston Harbor area with your, with your favorite boat, and, and there you are, you're tooling around with your fishing rods and your bait, and you're ready to go, and you find your fishing spot, and you anchor your boat. So you, you drop anchor, and there you are in your favorite fishing spot, and you're dropping your line down, and you, and you start fishing away. 
Something happens as the day goes by, though, if you're staying in that spot. By the influence of current, tide, and wind, the boat begins to move in a circle. It's really cool. It, it, your radius of rope anchored to the point, which is the center of the circle, the wind begins to blow you around so that you're technically not fishing in the same spot the whole time. See, in America, we hate adversity. We hate wind. We hate the change of currents. But God knows that if I can get your current to change and if I can get the wind to blow differently and you're anchored properly, I, you will begin dropping bait in places you normally wouldn't have dropped bait. And it's funny how it ends up making this circle of influence, this place, this area where you're now fishing where you had anchored. And the cool thing is, all you have to do is let out a little bit of anchor line, just let out a little bit of anchor line. And any mathematician in here will tell you about the area of a circle and how it's happening. You're significant. You don't have to drive all over the the intercoastal waterway or, or the Gulf Stream to find a fish. You just, just let out a little bit of anchor line, let it out a little, and all of a sudden that circle gets larger. See, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to begin to, to, to make sure that we're anchored properly and then begin to let out a little bit of line so that our influence can be felt in other places. So how does this apply? I want you to hear about this Bible boating verse about stimulus. It's actually got an anchor in it. Um, Hebrews 6 verse 9 says this. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and your love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. He's like, man, I, I, I love that you're stimulating life around you. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You see, if Christ is your anchor, the anchor of your soul, and we do not become slack with that line. It empowers us to show love to others and to make a difference. So I want to ask you the question, where are you anchored right now? Where are you anchored? No, let me even take this further. Where's your hope anchored? Uh, because now we can really get into it, can't we? Because some of us have our hope anchored in a lot of different things full spectrum things, right? Politics, race, gender, money, wealth, position, success. See, we all have anchors, but we've all dropped them in different places. We're all creating circles, but they may not be divinely inspired circles, circles that stimulate life around us. So let me ask you the question, is your hope is it, rooted, is it rooted in Christ? Have you dropped it there? See, anything that I've learned over the last 18 months is that all the other places I was dropping my anchor have proven to fail me, or at least have proven to not have the, the enough um, depth to them to really support 
all that needs to change in the world around us. There's, there's not just one entity that can pull this off. And some of those entities have, have failed us over the last uh, year and a half. But there's one entity that will never fail us. If we're willing to hold on strong to it, is that we need to drop our anchor into Christ so that he can empower us and show us how to love the people in the world around us. See, winds and currents of culture move around us like fish, and, and God just wants to swing our boat, swing our boat, swing our boat. And, and, and it's like, let's fish all over this place. You know, not just for one people, but for all people. That our job is to allow the boat to swing. And that's how I evaluate events that happen in the United States. I don't care if it's justice or injustice, riot or, or, or protest, um, Republican or Democrat or, you know, right or wrong. I see them all as winds that can move my boat into somebody else's area so that I can stimulate maybe just a little bit of hope. Maybe some love. And maybe all the, all the get out of it is like, well, that guy seems to be living a charmed life. You know, that there is another story other than the sad story. And, and so that's, so, so I don't really kind of take stands on necessarily that's bad or that's good, because we never know all the facts, do we? The question is, is what's my boat gonna do when it swings into that zone? What is my life going, what's going to be the effect when, when I'm now in a place, you know, that I wasn't before, where I was in Jerusalem and now I'm in Judea, huh? Now I'm in Samaria. Well, what do I got in common with Samarians, you know? Well, Jesus says what you've got in common is needs, wind and currents, difficulties. You still have that. Even though they, they are different than you, you still can bring stimulus into their life. So, it's time for us to make circles. First, anchor your life in Christ. I love the last 18 months for the fact that it has, it has exposed every institution, even church, even church, okay? Don't, it was not missed on me. Playing church, and I've done a lot of playing church over the last 20-something years. Okay, I'm not any better than anyone else. I've done the bouncy castles. I've done, you know, let's bring in a latte machine. Let's do all that stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But there have been times when me as a pastor, I have migrated to allow church to be less than divinely inspired by God. Okay, so I love the fact that God shook. And, and, and I'm not concerned about anybody else at church. I'm talking about Crosstown. I love the way that the church was shook with the first flood. Now, some of you were here, you knew I didn't personally like it, and I was pretty ticked. But, hey, God's got to break through. You know, God's got to break through on some of the, the bad attitude that I have in my life. But now I feel like, wow, 18 months later, yeah, we're really into this for what? Jesus. We're really into this for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in this for you. We're in this for, for love and truth and, and all those... I, See, I, I thought those things were like faith things. And for, for like 20-some years, I always thought there was science, which is right, truth, and there was faith that is it's abstract and it's experiential. Now I realize all the stuff in the faith category is the only thing that's going to fix this planet and my marriage 
and my grandchildren, though they are perfect. I'm just going to say it straight up. I got perfect grandkids. And, but but you, you get the idea is that these are the things that will make a difference in the world around us. So first, is Christ your anchor? Can I encourage you to turn off your motorboat, throw, and, and <laughs> just give your life to Christ, tie it up to Christ. I don't know what else that you can tie it up to. I've tried to tie it up to absolutely everything, you know? And everything has just shifted, you know, and has just moved. Surrender to him. Second, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you did that? I mean, that's kind of a weird thing to do, isn't it? I mean, especially as stoic postmodern Christians, we, we, we believe in Jesus. We're all cool about going to heaven, but asking for the influence of a divine spirit to enter your body and cause you to act differently? It sounds weird when you say it that way, doesn't it? But that's exactly what it is. That's exactly, but, but listen to what Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil, because God's not really impressed with us, don't ever think God's super impressed with you, okay? I mean, I thought, you know, just because you gave up this and you gave up that, he's like, he's still, Jesus says to his crowd that he's trying to win over, I mean, he's not afraid of anybody not liking him. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When was the last time you woke up in the morning, dropped onto your knees, and just said, God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit because I got nothing without you. Yeah, I got ethics. Yeah, I got morality. But I don't think that's going to be enough. You know, I, I, need, I need something more. I'm going to need divine empowerment. I mean, how do you forgive somebody who's done you, some, done you wrong? How do you forgive an ex-spouse? I mean... I, I, I firmly believe everybody should have at least one ex-spouse. I mean, because then you really have to, don't quote me on that local pastor says have ex-spouse. But, but you, you need somebody that you need to intensely forgive and, and, and that you can't forgive. That's where you need the Holy Spirit. That's when you find out how much of the divine stimulus has happened in your life. Me forgiving little Susan Rienzo who loves me, you know, brought me a cup of coffee this morning, happened Valentine's and, and all that wonderful stuff. Oh, she's easy to forgive. But you need the divine spirit of God. So how many of us are asking every single day for the Holy Spirit? Third, identify those living in your circle. Drop your bait. Drop your line. Who's in your circle? Even if you don't like them, they're in your circle. They're, they're not in my circle. I got people in my circle, but they're, so you say, well, yeah, but I want you to love my wife. I want God to love my wife. I want, I want God to love my kids and fix my kids. I want God to love my boss. It's like, no, he's in your circle. Identify people in your circle and ask yourself the question, not are they treating me right but rather, am I stimulating life into them? Not asking what they can do for you. What? Did I almost sound like John F. Kennedy? What? For an ex-Bostonian, that's like the coup de grace of all things. Ask not what they can do for you, but what you can do for them. Was I the only one that got that? It was, okay, all right, I just wanted to let you. Just for a, somebody from Massachusetts, if you ever can quote John F. Kennedy, it's a pretty good thing, but... Um, uh, I know, I heard some rumbles there with that one. <laughs> and identify who's in your circle 
And then ask, am I stimulating their life towards Christ? Fourth, evaluate the quality of your circle. Maybe your circle is economically too small. Maybe all your sharing and giving has of finances and resources is way too small. Maybe economically, God wants you to spread your circle out. Maybe your circle is racially too restrictive. Maybe you only keep likes in your circle, okay? Well, it's interesting, Jesus said Jerusalem, and he says go, he commands them. It's like, okay, you got your Jerusalem circle and everybody looks the same, listens to the same music and culturally expresses themselves the same way. Now I want you to go to Judea. Now you know those Judeans now. They get a little freaky, okay? They, they're a little different. And then it's like, but I can handle that. Okay, good, you can, great. Now I want you to go to Samaria. They're like almost totally different than you culturally. And then I want you to go into the realm of the infidel, into the realm of the Gentile, the ends of the earth. I mean, absolutely incredible. See, maybe some of us, are, our circle is too small racially. Maybe your circle needs to have more forgiveness in it. Maybe your circle's toxic. Do you have a toxic circle when everybody steps into your circle? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when one of the grandkids goes in those little wading ponds, a little wading pools that I have at the house. You know, they're, you, know you don't want to buy a big pool, so you buy the little one from Amazon, and it's only like five feet across. But they've been in it for about four hours, and the, war, the water in the, the thing is warmer than the air outside the thing, and you're starting to wonder if you want to put, you know, maybe it's time to get the child out of that pool. Let me ask you... What is the quality of, of your circle? Is it toxic? You know, are, are you moving people away from your circle instead of you stepping into their circle? Because maybe there's too much toxicity. So maybe this is a good day for you to evaluate what's, what's going on inside of my circle. The Apostle James said it this way about challenging the quality of circles. This is like spot on. I couldn't have made this up. James chapter two, verse one, he's, 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 he's uh, putting his finger in the water. I don't think he licked it first, but he put his finger in the water to find out what's going on in that church. And, he, and he, he's like, okay, let's test the water of your circle. So he challenges them with some really strong language. Listen to this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also come in, and if you pay no attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, and while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, the church always has to be challenged. Christians always have to be challenged. Are we settling into our own little circle? Is everyone safe in our circle? And James says, hey, when you start letting certain people in your circle and other people's not in your circle, and you decide you're not going to, you're going, he said, man, that's not what church is all about. It's not what Jesus was all about. And then fourth, after you've analyzed your circle, Extend your circle. I think it's time for some of us, and I think this is where most of us are. 
I think the toxic circle is probably applying to a lot of us, but I, I think this other one is, it's time to extend our circle or let out some anchor line, okay? We, we've all kind of, I think because of COVID, I think we've all kind of collapsed into likes, okay? I think we have. We put all the odd numbers on one side. We put all the even numbers on the other side. I, I think it just happened, okay? And then social events occurred, and then we collapsed into more likes, you know, and, 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 and that happens. It just happens. It's not because we're evil. It's just because events sometimes will segregate us and then, and then surround us and we get stuck in this little, little bubble. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's time to let out some anchor line, okay? Now to, let's get some different people in your circle. People different than you, different than the people you're used to. Let's make your goodness go beyond your great marriage. I love having a great marriage, but that's not good enough, is it? It's not all about me just having a great marriage. It's not all about me just having great grandkids. It's, not gr just, it's all about me beginning to extend my circle. So I wrote Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Now that should, that should concern you that I rewrote this scripture, okay? So I want to let you know when to get nervous and not get nervous. But if you'll just let me just, I'm telling you up front, I rewrote this, but maybe to apply it to our lives. This isn't the one you base your life on, though. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in your marriage to your kids, to the people in your community and to the people beyond your comfort zone. That's, I think that sounds pretty close to the original. See, too many of us have allowed society to polarize us and there have been polarizing events that have taken place. But you know where the real loss is? The real loss is, is that the stimulus that would actually change America is now locked up in our houses or in our likes or in only those who are similar with us. But God wants us to have something powerful. And he says, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here and Jesus is, is not your anchor, don't go anywhere. If you're not asking for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, don't tell them you're a Christian, okay? You say, wow, that's rude. Well, it's just as rude as what Jesus said to the disciples. Then yes, it's rude. Don't go anywhere until you have been divinely stimulated with power from on high, that you have asked the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and empower you. And so maybe this is a time when we do that. We together ask the divine presence of God to fill our lives and that he would quicken us, that he would fill us, that he would empower us, that he would transform us every single day so that we can stimulate life around us. Because God wants us to have more than a sad story, more than a racially divided story or a politically divided story or an economic story, or a gender story, or an abuse story. Hey, that's not this, that's just the wind. That's the change of currents. God wants us to have a story that has been charmed by the grace of heaven, that we can speak hope and life and truth even while we're in pain, to leave our circles better than when we found them and to extend his grace into circles 
that are outside of our comfort zone. Dear God, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your life-giving presence. Make me more than me. God, my best is not good enough for planet Earth. My political stand will not change the Earth. My good marriage alone will not change the world. But God, I need your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, and I will go. I will go. I will go and bring that stimulus to the world around me. Let me encourage you. If you're like me, all the Holy Spirit feels like it's been just drained out of you. I don't think it was. I think it was replaced with something else. And now it's time for us to move that something else out and bring back the divine stimulus of God into our hearts and minds. Let me encourage you in this moment of worship and communion to reconnect with the anchor of our souls. As we take communion, we're, we're dropping anchor. We're dropping anchor. Ask the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow morning and every day to fill you with the Spirit of God.